Hey y'all, this is Sam. And this is Steven. And this is Crimology. This is episode 97. Um, that's all I have. <laughs> bye bye. Episode 97. Um, almost to 100, which is super cool. Um, before we get started, make sure to do all of the things. We have Instagram and Facebook, both at Crimology Pod. So make sure to go look at those things. We post different, obviously, pictures and stuff um, that has to pertain to the case. And sometimes we mention things like videos or whatever. And all of that's linked onto both of those pages. So make sure you go check that out. We have an email, crimologypod at gmail.com that you can email suggestions to. I still have about, I think it's like five or four episodes this season that I don't have filled yet. Um, so if there's a popular case that we have not yet covered that you want to add to the list, let me know so then I can add it to the list. Um, and yeah, do all of the things, rate us, review us, star us, do all of those things. Um, this is episode 97. This is John Benet Ramsey. December 26, 1996, at 5.52 a.m., Patsy Ramsey calls police very frantic and tells police that her daughter, six-year-old John Benet Ramsey, had been kidnapped. The night before, John Benet, her parents John and Patsy, and her nine-year-old brother, Burke, went to a party at some friend's house. They got back that night, the parents put the kids to bed, and everybody goes to sleep. When Patsy wakes up the next morning and heads downstairs for the day, she finds a ransom letter on the stairs of their house. Now you can go and Google the ransom letter and you can like read it in its entirety. Um, I'm not going to. We'll post part of it on our social media pages, but that's something you can go look at. Pausing right here. Steven, do you know this case? Absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not absolutely not the name doesn't even ring a bell no that's crazy anyways this is i say that as like i know about this case but i didn't know details about this case so we'll also count this case as a loss for me too because i learned a lot from this case but anyways i forgot to ask that at the very beginning so we'll yeah we're uh we're not doing very good this year on me knowing you knew two famous cases two or three no that's not bad there's still time there's still time we're almost there so back to the ransom letter the ransom letter was requesting a hundred and eighteen thousand dollars in exchange for john benet and the exchange was supposed to happen the next day between 8 a.m and 10 a.m very interesting amount well it's a very specific amount which is the ex close to the amount that john got as a bonus that year so it's the first like <laughs> of this case i would do you, do well you i to... guess the first <laughs> is the ransom letter being found in the house which no i guess that's not because if she's kidnapped they'd come into the house but the first like what is the amount because you're like that's specific i i would just take his bonus as a salary every year I mean that too. I mean, but that, we all that would be fine with me. What what did he do? I don't know. Okay. Um, 
So those are the questions that intrigue me. Apparently. How can I make more money? <laughs> so, very specific amount. And then the ransom letter itself was weird. The ransom letter starts off by saying, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. And then it's signed by SBTC, which these initials are one of the many things that are still unknown about this case and that we've never found out who they belong to or what they mean. I think that's very funny that they put listen carefully, not read carefully. Well, I guess I do the same thing. I'm like, you know, thanks for watching. You know what I mean. But yes. But yeah, I think that that was like, or, or it's like, the if it's a two person thing, it's like one guy's telling him what to put, and you're like, okay, listen carefully, listen carefully, <laughs> and he's like, all right, okay, <laughs> that's funny. So already this ransom letter is just weird, and so it's like, you know, we are a group of individuals, and so it's like phrased that way throughout the whole letter. Now, John Bonet was a pageant girl, and she had more than five high-profile pageant wins under her belt at just the age of six. So she's a very beautiful kid. And so when police show up to her house, they see the ransom letter, they immediately believe it, and they start working on this as a kidnapping. And so I say this because right off the bat, this whole case isn't handled the way that it should have been. So when they show up, they let anybody and everybody into the house. The only room they completely shut down was John Benet's room. So the rest of the house was open for anyone and everyone to walk around, pick things up, move things, potentially getting rid of any evidence that might be in the house. And then police do a search of the house, and I'm putting air quotes around search, because the police didn't do a major search of the house. And again, since they had the ransom letter, they didn't expect John Bonet to be in the house. So their search was kind of just poking their head in each room and kind of moving on. So already this case wasn't handled the way that it needed to be. And then less than eight hours after the 911 call, police end up asking John to go search around the house and look for anything that was out of place or anything that looked weird. John goes immediately down to the basement of the house and he finds the dead body of John Bonet. Again, when he finds the body of John Bonet, he carries her out of the basement and brings her upstairs. This, again, is messing up the crime scene. So all around, this crime scene is contaminated in all kinds of ways. So we're already off to a bad start. Uh, yeah, these police officers definitely need some training in how to handle a crime scene. Because like, as soon as your kid's missing, you're calling everybody in the neighborhood. You're calling all of your friends, all of your family. Of course, they're going to come over to your house. So who knows how many people they had over at their house. Who knows what they're touching, what they're moving, what they're doing. And then you find the body and you're like, okay, this is now a crime scene. But we have fingerprints everywhere. Like the killer could be in here and, you know, been covering up it 
his his or her tracks. I'm calling from inside your closet. <laughs> so, like, already this is just a hot mess. The body was found in a utility closet in the basement of the house. She had duct tape on her mouth and her hands and legs were bound together and she had a cord around her neck. An autopsy was done on her body to determine that the cause of death was strangulation and found that John Bonet was alive before she was strangled, which will come up later, but that's a kind of major point in this is that she was alive before strangulation and so strangulation was her cause of death. So now that officials have John Bonet's body, they now, again, like I said, have to start treating the house as a crime scene after letting everyone and their mom into the house. But they start looking at things in the house more closely. They start with figuring out who was actually in the house the night before and the morning of the murder. And the only people in the house were John Bonet, John, Patsy, and Burke. Now, as far as any evidence that was found at the crime scene, we have a paintbrush that belonged to a set that Patsy had, and this paintbrush was used to help the killer tighten the rope around John Bonet's neck. We have DNA that was found on John Bonet's underwear and her long johns. There was a rope found close to John Bonet's bedroom that did not belong to the family. There were two sets of footprints found around the house, but no sign of forced entry into the house. And outside, it's December, so it's snowing outside. There's no footprints in the snow. So if someone broke into this house, they did it very clean, leaving no trace of them behind. So let's go back to the ransom letter. After officials look at the letter, it is discovered that the ransom letter was written inside the house. Officials test a notepad and pen from the house and determine that those objects were the supplies used to write the ransom letter. Officials were also able to determine that a practice letter was written before the actual letter and officials even found parts of that practice letter. On the practice letter, they see that common words were spelled incorrectly, but then they used, like, bigger words with, like, even words with accents on them, and those words were spelled correctly. So, again, this just adds to already the ransom letter that you're trying to, like, make it sound not like normal conversation and then you're like oh let's let's twist them up by spelling understand wrong but we'll put this accent word in there and we'll spell this right you know so it's just weird a handwriting analysis ruled john out of being the person who wrote the ransom letter while patsy's analysis came back as inconclusive I tried to look it more into that, but I honestly couldn't find more. Um, and so that's really, I, that's all I have. Like I tried to look to see if like that anybody questioned her on it or, you know, like where that went with that. But like, it was hard to find anything else just from that fact. So after all of this comes forward with the letter, we have more questions. So someone broke into this house 
had enough time to sit down and write two ransom letters just to ultimately decide to kill John Bonet and leave her in the house. And you're saying all of this happened while the whole family was in the house. So this whole thing is just fishy. So the DNA from John Bonet's underwear and long johns were tested, and this is pretty much the only firm evidence we have to rule people out of this case. So because there is little evidence supporting an intruder and this weird ransom letter thing, the family is pretty much the first people officials look at. John, Patsy, and Burke's DNA all come back negative of, of belonging to the DNA found at John Bonet's clothes, so they were ruled out as being the murderer, even though things still aren't adding up. So I'll talk about some suspects that come up with this case before we continue on. The first one we have is an older man named Bill. He was at the same party that the Ramsey family went to the night before the murder, and he was dressed up as Santa. It's said that at the party, John Bonet gave Bill a vial of glitter as Santa. Now, after John Bonet's death, it's said that Bill brought that vial of glitter into the operation room when he was getting heart surgery. And his wife would later say that Bill asked her to mix the glitter in with his ashes when he died. But even though this is weird and raises many red flags, Bill's DNA was tested and came back negative. Another suspect was a man named Gary, and he was a known sex offender who lived in the area. He was arrested on, on drug charges after John Bonet's death, and when police were searching his backpack, they found a picture of John Bonet in his backpack. When he's asked about it, he said that he felt bad about what happened to her, and he said he took her death really hard, but the family having no idea who the guy was. So years later, one of Gary's friends would come forward and say in an interview that the day John Bonet was murdered, that Gary called him saying that he hurt a little girl. It also turns out that at some point, Gary tried to strangle his own mother, and the way John Bonet was strangled was very similar to the way Gary strangled his mom. So again, even though these things are weird, Gary's DNA is tested and it comes back negative from the DNA found at the crime scene. Yeah, that's very interesting that like there's all these like little connections uh, yeah. with both these guys. And, uh, in a lot of ways. And yet the DNA right. comes back negative on both. Yep. That's, I mean, it's very, very weird to me. Yep. So our next suspect wouldn't be discovered or added as a suspect until 2006. Ten years later. Literally. John Mark Carr emails a professor at the University of Colorado who was doing a documentary over John Bonet's death. The professor felt like this man, like John, knew something about this case and could help him. So he continues to email John back and forth, trying to build that trust up and hopefully have John open up to him. 
John and the professor would end up emailing back and forth for four years before John opens up. John would end up saying that he was in love with Jean Bonnet, even having knowledge of the family that wasn't common, like the nickname of Patsy. And he admitted to being the one that killed Jean Bonnet. So the professor goes to police immediately and tells them what happened, and John is arrested. However, John's DNA doesn't match the DNA found at the scene, But remember that there were two sets of footprints found at the crime scene. So could John have been someone else? Like, could John have had someone else working with him? And could have John just been there? So police look into more about John when they ultimately find out that John wasn't even in Colorado during the murders. So he wasn't their guy. Just a creep head. That's very weird. All of these three men are creep heads. Very, very weird. Creeps. Anyways, moving on. So after this sus- these suspects are discovered, their weird, spooky stories are told. But then, ultimately, nothing. We're back to nothing. So this causes the general public to look harder at the family and come up with some scenarios of what happened. Some believe that maybe John Bonet was killed by a family member on accident and the rest of the family worked together together to cover the death up and that's why this case seems so weird and strung together. But remember that during her autopsy, officials say that John Bonet was alive before she was strangled, so this eliminates the theory as an option. Also remember that the DNA found on the clothes doesn't match any of her family members. But even after all this time, a lot of people believe that Burke was the one that killed John Bonet. Even my sister Taba, she will die saying that Burke killed John Bonet. Now, while police show up to the family's house the morning of the murder, They find a bowl of pineapple in a white milk-like substance on the kitchen table in the spot where Burke normally sits. Now, pausing. Pineapple and milk sounds like a weird snack. Very. But Patsy says that Burke and John Bonet ate this all the time. So, Hmm. it's not weird that it's there. However, there are some weird details about it. Now, like I said, when they ask officials ask Patsy about it, she says she has no idea who how that bowl got there, and she says she didn't make it, even though this was a snack that Burke and John Bonet liked a lot. We'll post a picture of the meal on our social media page, but to describe it for you, it's a bowl full, full of pineapple, and you don't really get to see a lot of this milk substance in it, but it's It has a big serving spoon in it, and next to it is an empty glass with a single tea bag in it, but no actual tea in the cup. So when you look at this and the way that it's presented, and you have Patsy and John who say that they didn't make it, and it's in the same spot that Burke normally sits at at the table, you start to think, look at it, and you see that it could have been made by a child, 
either by Burke or John Bonet. Yeah, that's pretty weird. I mean, like, hmm. so I mean, it's I mean, you I can't really tell the size of the bowl, but like, like one of those big like serving spoons. Like, it's not just a spoon that you're like, hey, here's a spoon to have cereal with, or I guess anything with. It is a big serving spoon, and you're like, that's definitely not meant for that purpose. Right. So this is what a lot of people on the Burke train. This is what they kind of revert back to. Now, when John Bonet's autopsy is done, they do find pineapple in her stomach, which means that she did eat some of this either 30 minutes to two hours before her death. So a lot of people who are on the side of this case that the brother killed John Bonet use this bowl of pineapple kind of their pinpoint evidence. Now, fast forwarding to 2004. The DNA from this case is put in the FBI's database of convicted violent offenders, which had over 1.5 million samples, but the DNA found didn't get a match. Now, fast forwarding to last year, as of 2021, which I guess two years ago, anyways, the FBI has said They had analyzed over 1,000 DNA samples for this case and still have had no matches. And the Boulder police say they have pressed more than 1,500 pieces of evidence related to this murder with nothing. Now, 2013, it came to light that back in 1999, a grand jury had voted to indict John Bonet's parents on charges of child abuse resulted in death of John Bonet and of being accessories to the crime. However, the district attorney did not sign the indictment saying that there was just not enough evidence to support the charges, but the fact that they were like the jury was like, I mean, so that was crazy. Hearing this, that like the jury was like, yep, we've heard all we needed to hear, put these people in jail. And then for, you know, everyone to be like, yeah, there's not enough evidence here. So that was crazy. Well, to me, it's almost like they're just, because it's such a young kid, like they're just wanting, well, so you like, know, like I to place s- the blame on somebody. So then they just went ahead and be like, Okay, well, we'll just go ahead and go with the parents. Well, the part is, is that most of the stuff from this indictment is not public knowledge. Right. Just the, they recently released a couple of pages of the indictment and still a lot of it is blackened out. So we can't read what it is. Redacted. So you can go see it, but it really doesn't give you much. So, like, from this whole situation, we don't have any of the details. We don't have any of the evidence that was brought forward. But it is crazy to think that, like, all of the evidence that was brought forward made this whole grand jury say, yep, it's the parents. But it may never be public knowledge. So, anyways, I saw that and I was like, what? We have, what? (laughs) Now, gets a little bit crazier. A couple of years ago, 
a DNA expert was looking at the DNA from this case and said that John Bonet's underwear could have held DNA from someone in the manufacturer and proved this by testing an unopened bag of underwear from the store, which could mean that the DNA we have been testing everyone against could have nothing to do with this case. Hmm. So to this day, we still don't have answers. We have no idea who killed John Bonet, and we have no idea what happened the morning of her death, but we have nothing but questions. So also, I'm going to add this in because literally this popped up like five hours ago. I'm about to drop breaking news. Not breaking news, but semi. Um, So, like, there's a book coming out by Lou Smith, I believe is how you say it. And basically, he's, it's the, I mean, he's passed away at this point, but he's, there's a book being published called Lou and Jean Bonnet, A Legendary Lawman's Quest to Solve a Child Beauty Queen's Murder. So, basically, on... So last Friday, um, Fox News Digital, I didn't know that's a thing, but whatever, reported on an unearthed 1997 DNA test that shows DNA evidence recovered under the girl's fingernails and from her clothes was not a match for members of her family and others close to the family. So basically, that knocks out any of her family members or we'll people see. that were close i did there was a couple of days ago that i did get on my various news apps because i'm an old woman it did say about this book but what i think is weird is that like no news articles have said like here's the dna they just talk about the book you know what i mean right so like it's well and i think part of it too is like the book's not officially out yet it's just that like they've just been but my i guess it's like if i so if there was a big murder in town and i was like i have all of this information but i'm gonna put it in a book couldn't police come to me and be like yeah no you've got to tell us you know what i mean i mean i guess the guy's dead but still surely if they're publishing it somebody owns it so that was my thought process behind reading that was i was like how could police just let this book be published with it saying that it has, I don't know. Anyways. So, so this was to end this episode. It was like an article that was written literally a couple years ago that this guy was like, Hey, we may be looking at this DNA that has absolutely nothing to do with this case. And we're ruling all of these people out based off of this dna that could be some random manufacturer's dna and then i was thinking how crazy would it be to just be working at a factory and then you know for some reason like you get i don't know you get jail time for something petty and then they're like oh your dna came back for a murder and you're like nope (laughs) Uh, so it's pretty yeah. crazy well like i i mean it's it's kind of it's like it doesn't really make sense that it's um i don't know it just uh, there's not any good i mean especially if all this dna is like okay nobody 
you know, the family, nobody fits it. That just seems really weird. So Tabba believes that Burke had, I don't know how true this is because I didn't look very much into each family member, but I guess Burke had really aggressive, like was really aggressive and had Hmm. a really bad temper. Okay. So Tabba is on the side of that Burke strangled her and that the family tried to cover it up. Um, However, there are just little things that like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, don't get that too much out into the public because uh, CBS aired this case back in 2016 and implied that he did it. And he sued them for $750 million. So we're not going to say that he did it because we don't have that kind of money. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, not that I want to get sued, but I honestly don't know where I stand on this one. Yeah, it's it's one of I mean, it there's not really anything close. I mean, we have a lot more questions than we do. Yes, still. which is crazy to think that that it happened almost twenty six. Yeah, just over twenty six years ago. That's wild. But there it is, Dominic Ramsey. If I can educate you any day, that's a good day. If I can educate you about true crime and murders, that's a good day. That's going to be most days. Honestly. (laughs) So, yeah, like I said, go social media and do the things and rate the things. Um, Thanks for almost 100 episodes. Thanks for four seasons. Thanks for two years. Thanks for all of the things. Um. Wow, it's been that long. Literally. So, like always, this is Sam. This is Steven. And this is Crimeology. 